Well, it is great to have you here. If uh, we haven't met yet, um, wow. Uh, I'm Jack, so that sounded really cool. Uh, glad that you're here, and uh, just this week we're wrapping up a series we started last week. Next week we're going to start into our Christmas series, so I really want to invite you back for that and just remind you Christmas Eve is at 3, not 5. Um, for Christmas Eve, which is a Sunday this year. So, but this week, we're going to wrap up a series we started last week looking at compounding joy. How do you grow joy in your life? What does the Bible have to say about this idea of investments? And we looked at this idea of investments. We talked about different investments with the reality that we all have something to invest. So, if you're new, and maybe this is your first Sunday here, I met a couple of you. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And we really want to take, um, when we kind of take time for a sermon or so. We're looking at the Bible and what Jesus has to say about life. Now, part of that we're going to look at tonight of what Jesus has to say about treasure and about wealth and about resources and how do we deal with that. And I know for some of you that may, like if this is your first time, you're like, oh, it's all the church ever talks about. Not really. Um, we don't. We, we mention it from time to time. We do a series a year on it. And some people have asked me, okay, why do you talk about money every year? And I go, well, because you have to deal with money every day. And it's just a reality. Jesus has a lot to say about it and the significance it could play, not just in our heart transformation, but in the transformation of communities, the transformation of our families, of our lives, and everything that we have going on. So uh, in 2015, there was a study done uh, for college students, incoming freshman college students. And they asked them a whole plethora of questions to say, what are some of the goals? What are some of the objectives that you have in these next four to eight years? <laughs> No, okay, yeah. How many of you finished college in four years? How many of you took longer? Yeah, that's me, okay. Um, but so this idea uh, of saying, hey, there's, what are some objectives, what are some goals that you have that you wish you are really wanting at the end? And the number one goal that people put over 80-some percent checked, uh, the highest proportion of all the questions, becoming very well off financially as being essential or very important objective in life. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but the reality is that it shows us something uh, about where our heart is and about what we have to go for and um, what we have to do. And so this idea of this pursuit of what do we do, most people believe I will be happier if I make more. That's part of kind of this mantra that our culture pushes us, this current of our culture that goes underneath us. But research has shown differently that wealth itself is not, has very small direct proportion on my enjoyment or the significance I have in life. In fact, the more I get, it kind of effectively speeds up this treadmill of this pursuit of more. Well, then I need more, then I need more. And this level of wealth uh, really has doubled or tripled in industrial nations over the last uh, 25, 30 years. And people are realizing that happiness and satisfaction aren't necessarily found by that being the only equation. I get more, therefore I'm more happy. And it's just not playing out that way. In fact, research is showing that uh, rates of depression are actually rising with the growth of this wealth. And so we can look at that and we can, and we can be sad by that. We can look at it and, and kind of try to figure out how do we go through this. And, and really what Jesus touched on so many years ago, we looked at last week. So I want to do a quick recap. You can catch up. You can watch it online, uh, on the app, whatever that is, because I, I really believe this. I believe Jesus knew something about money, even though he didn't have a lot of it. 
what he understood at the core is that how we manage it, how we interact with it, will create an opportunity for growth and transformation to impact us like hardly anything else in this world. How we navigate it, how we interact with it, will, be, will set us up for potential of transformational growth in our core of who we are, in our character, in our spirit, in our soul, like maybe nothing else, if we can handle it the way he taught about that. Not just the impact it can have in the world, but the impact it can have in your world and in your heart. And so we talked about eternal investments last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back to it. But here's the passage we pulled from. So I'll read it real quick. We'll do a couple recap, and then I'm going to launch into the last verse that Jesus has in here. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, just three verses, here's what Jesus says. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and... um, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Some of your verses might say there, the, there your heart may be also. What he's saying is, look, don't store up treasures on earth. Don't invest everything you have on earthly treasures or make just earthly investments. Because if you do, it's not because those things are bad. What he's really saying is this, those things don't last. You can invest all you want on earthly things, but the reality is you're not gonna take any of it with you. So it's a poor investment. It doesn't have a good return on it because it has a shelf life. It has an expiration date to it. It will vaporize, it will be void. How many of you have ever said, where'd my money go? Yeah. That money is fleeting that way on just earthly things. He's saying, look, don't store it up just here. And he has also pointed out this reality that where our heart is, where our treasure is, is where our heart will go. That our heart naturally follows where we make our investments. And so Jesus is pointing out this reality. Look, I want you to invest your temporal dollars, the resources I've given you. Remember, we're stewards, we're not owners. God's the ultimate owner. We're the stewards of what he's blessed us with, the talents, the time, the treasure, all of that. We're given as a, a steward of that. And so as we steward those things and as we invest those things, he says, look, take those temporal dollars and invest them in eternal things because it has a long life to it. It has a ripple effect for all eternity. Don't just make it about this. And so we ended last week kind of looking at this idea of how do we aim our life and not just building a portfolio, but an internal investment portfolio. How do we aim our life in that direction so that it's not just only one thing, but it can really be about eternal things as well. So it's not that God understands that you need to live. He does. And so it's not saying give all your money to Jesus. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Jesus only asked one guy to do that, ever. And it was really to test his heart because he knew where his heart was. And so this challenge for us is to say, hey, how can I manage in a way that best honors Jesus? Then Jesus comes back and he says this one final verse that actually leads into a whole nother section in Matthew chapter six. And I wanna focus the rest of our time on tonight on this and the mindset it kind of, that he's wanting us to grab when it comes to our investments, to the treasures that we have, that we have control and influence over. Here's what he says, verse 24. He says this famous saying, you probably heard it before, you didn't know where it came from, it came from Jesus, here it is. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's Jesus saying here? 
because the whole next verses, you can read on for the next four or five verses, talk six different times about don't worry. You can read it. So how does Jesus go from this verse to this whole idea of don't worry? Well, because he's actually teaching one main concept through this whole uh, teaching that he's giving. He's saying, look, make eternal investments. Don't just make earthly investments. Don't let your heart just be on earthly things because it will keep your heart trapped here instead of the reality of where I want it to be because this is all about undivided loyalty. That's what Jesus is saying. This is about the loyalty of our heart. And what he's saying is you and me, we're all going to face this tension of where does our loyalty go because of the culture in which we live, which is not just the same here in America, but all over the world. The culture is going to say, look out for yourself. The culture is going to pull you to have a devotion to making wealth and material things and all this pursuit. That's where your heart's going to want to go. But Jesus is saying, I want your undivided loyalty. And if you provide it to me, as I provided undivided loyalty to you, then I'm going to take care of everything else. You won't have to live in worry. It won't have to consume you. Jesus is saying you can only have one master. So does Christ or does money occupy more of your mind, your thoughts, your time, your efforts? You have to think about that. Where am I in that scale? Where am I on how that goes? The whole rest of those verses go into this whole idea of you don't have to worry, you don't have to be consumed. This undivided loyalty is what Jesus is asking for. Here's what I wrote that I think is true. This undivided loyalty, you cannot serve both God and money, really is about this. God's not looking for donors. God's looking for disciples. God's not looking to increase the list of donors to his kingdom. What he's looking to increase is the number of disciples who have a heart that reflects his heart, that have a desire deep within them to be about the eternal vision that Jesus is saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it, that this movement of Jesus needs to move forward And I'm looking for disciples who will give their lives to that. There's a vast difference between someone who's a donor and someone who's a disciple. And Jesus is saying this undivided loyalty is not about donorship. It's about disciple and about having a heart that's shaped, that you care about the things of eternity and that you're beginning to fuel its reality. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, I quote him a lot, says this, a disciple is one whose ultimate goal is to live as Jesus would if he were in your place. That the ultimate goal of a disciple is to live like Jesus would if he was in your place, your situation, where you're at in life that you would approach things, you would view things, that the way Jesus taught about stuff would begin to influence how you now live. What he had to say about life and how he modeled his life would begin to change and influence how we then uh, affect and reflect in our relationships, in how we navigate material things and how we go about living our lives, that we begin to be that way. So to grow as a disciple and not just a donor, that's the key of what Jesus is driving home here. And I think that takes a mindset that he lays out uh, a couple quick things for us to wrestle with. A mindset of one, a mindset of a sojourner. 
meaning that heaven, not earth, is my ultimate home. That you and I would have a mindset that says we're passing through here. That's why I can invest in eternal things because ultimately that's where I'm going. This is not my home. This is a hangout. This is a pit stop. This is a place and I'm here for a while. But the reality is my home is with God in heaven. And so my investments, the resources God's given me, the ability to have some control over, that maybe the best use of that investment is not just on things here for the pit stop, but for things on the way home, for things that will be there that I I can't, I can send it ahead. I can invest in the things that matter to God. That's why these internal investments matters of what Jesus is driving home. He's saying this pull for money is something that's been around for a really, really, really long time. How many of you remember Solomon, right? Solomon's from the Old Testament. He's really, really old and dead. Uh, but he's really old, and he had this to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He said, those who love money will never have enough. This is thousands of years ago. Throw out modern-day research. This is thousands of years ago before the interweb, okay? And Solomon's writing these words. They'll never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Well, that was the whole study in 2015 for college students. And Solomon, thousands of years earlier, is writing. So what good is wealth, except perhaps to watch it uh, slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they have a little to eat or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Jesus is echoing what Solomon said. You can make earthly investments. That's okay. Just realize there's an expiration date. There's a shelf life to it. It's going to vaporize. It's going to be gone. Uh, PBS did a show a decade or so ago called Affluenza. Affluenza is this idea that you've heard of influenza, the idea of the flu and all that kind of stuff, but affluenza was this idea that people who have gotten this disease of affluence, meaning this pursuit of more and more and more, becomes a disease even with your own heart. They had, had stats that you could read that said that the average American shops six hours a week while spending 40 minutes playing with their kids. Now, I'm hoping that stat has changed over the last decade. By age 20, you've seen over one million commercials. Think about that. Think about the influence of that on just the pursuit of what you pay attention to, what captures your mind. Recently, more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. Think about that. Just what that means to a culture. 90% of divorce cases involve arguments about money and how to work things out. Even John Rockefeller, who, for those of you who are under 25, really rich dude a long time ago. Um, I have made many millions, but they have never brought me happiness. Really. There's so much here. Remember that you're just passing through. See, when you live with that kind of mindset, then you can approach resources from a very different vantage point. And this idea of earthly pursuits, and it's not wrong to have things. I hope you get a bunch of things and use them well and invest them with friends and family. But this idea of eternal investments, I hope that begins to capture your heart and my heart more and more as we go through life. 
First Peter says this, but you are not like them. Peter's setting up, he's reminding you who you are in Jesus. He's saying, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his light. And then he says this, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and as foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Peter's saying, look, we're just passing through. And so we have to live with this sojourner mindset that everything we see and everything the culture pushes at us is not necessarily the best. Yesterday I did a, a funeral for a friend's mom who passed away. And, and uh, I don't do many graveside um, but we did the funeral in a memorial service, then went out to the graveside. And, and I don't know if you've ever been to one of those or not, but it's staggering the perspective it puts on life. As you stand there, as you're walking over, over the places where they've put people to get to the place where they're going to put uh, her mom and, and to do a little service out there and just look and to see row after row after row of tombstones and recognize that what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5 is right. You know, I've never seen a U-Haul at a graveyard. I've never seen a suitcase because you can't take it with you. And the reality gets driven home as you stand there. There's two tombstones in Cairo, Egypt, I'll draw your attention to. One, uh, you'll find in a back road, kind of off an alley in this little plot of land that was designated for American missionaries. And William Borden is buried there. William uh, lived from 1887 to 1913. He was heir to a great estate and a great fortune of the Borden family. And he walked away from it because God put a call in his heart to reach Muslims for Jesus Christ. And so he gave away thousands of dollars investing in mission work in Cairo and Egypt and all over that region. He got up the courage to go as a missionary. He was only on the field for about four months before he contracted meningitis and it killed him and didn't even get home. But the age of 26, he passes away. And there in this little strip of land off the alley in a back road, you'll be able to find his tombstone that reads and talks about his love and passion for Jesus and for the Muslim people. And the very last line of his tombstone says this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Everything was about Jesus for him. Now, you can also hop in an Uber or in a car and drive to the Egyptian National Museum where you'll find the exhibit of King Tut, who died at 17, buried in a tomb um, in a golden coffin, buried with golden chariots and a whole bunch of golden artifacts in a golden tomb within a golden tomb within a golden tomb 3,000 years ago. And every bit of that gold is still there now in a museum. Why? The Egyptians had a belief that if you buried with your treasure, well then in the afterlife you get to enjoy it. And that was fine, but it was still never moved until 1922 when it was discovered 
and put in a museum. And so you think about the contrast of those two tombstones, those two exhibits, if you will. One who gave his life away, living for a kingdom that he knew would outlive him, and one who tried to take his kingdom with him. And where they are, I don't know. I can tell you where one is, for sure. One is still with the king of kings in an eternal party in heaven. And every ounce of investment he made had a ripple effect that's still impacting people because he gave to eternal investments. You can't take it with you. And see, in our culture, we have this possession obsession that says, I've got to possess more. I've got to have more. We have this affluenza disease, if you will. And the Apostle Paul writes about that. He says these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. That's key. God gives for your enjoyment. It's not just so that you're a slave to something. He gives for your enjoyment. Tell them to use their money for good, that they should be rich in good works and generous with those in need, always um, being ready to share with others. By doing this, they are storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Where is Paul pulling that from? Matthew chapter 6, from Jesus. He's using almost the exact same words. Invest where the foundation will last. Don't store up treasures here. Store them up for eternity. You can, in, you can use your resources here, but don't invest them here. Invest them somewhere else. Giving becomes the antidote to the pull of materialism in our world, and it redirects us to eternal investments. So one mindset is to say, hey, I want to have a mindset of a sojourner. I'm just passing through. Another part of that mindset of being a disciple of Christ when it comes to our treasure, when it comes to navigating resources, is this. Grow a generous heart like God's. God is so generous, friends. He's so generous to you, so generous to me. That doesn't mean you're going to be rich upon rich upon rich from an earthly standpoint. But you are forever enriched by the love and the grace and the hope of Jesus, period. The greatest gift ever given that we're moving toward Christmas to celebrate and to remember and to re-anchor ourselves again. This incredible gift that God has given. He's generous with his attention and with his affection and with his hope to you and to me and to our lives. And so how do you grow a generous heart? Well, you've just got to practice. How many of you have ever tried to learn a new skill or a new talent? Maybe you tried to become a musician. Maybe you took up a new sport. Maybe you took something. You tried something to learn to grow, right? How many of you are not adventurous at all, have never done anything new in life? Okay, perfect. So we've all tried something, right? How do you get better at it? How do you get better at it? Practice. You just have to do it, right? You just have to practice and keep working on this. We know about progression. We understand it. We understand it from a skill set development and that as we grow, we get better at it. But it's also, we understand it from even an educational standpoint, you think about. How many of you went to kindergarten? How many of you graduated? Perfect. How many of you went to elementary school? 
How many of you moved on? Perfect. How many of you went to high school? How many of you got a diploma? Right? Now, this is where it starts to go. With some other people, maybe you went to college, right? And maybe you got a college diploma. You got your degree, right? Anyone been to grad school? So you work on grad school. Some of you, I know, <laughs> Tom, you're in grad school. And this idea of keep working, right? We understand this progression, right? Do you think there might be progression as we grow a generous heart like God? I think there is. And I think when you look through the Bible, as you begin to see something, I started thinking through, okay, just how do I put a perspective on this? How do I put a picture, maybe, that would help you understand the progression in that? That we make giving to God and eternal things a priority, that we pick a percentage and we just start, and, and, but we progress in that. What does elementary-like giving look like in the Bible? Well, I think it starts with a budding desire to say, hey, God, I want you to be a priority. I think it starts there. I think elementary giving is this idea of saying, look, I want to make this a priority in my life. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I want to begin to, to kind of give to eternal things and not just earthly things that I have control over. So you work in the understanding this idea of being a manager and that I'm not the owner. It's a change in perspective. You begin to invest a percentage toward God's kingdom and toward his best and other agencies and things that are a part of that. And you begin to kind of get your financial house in order and kind of get an understanding of not having your money run you, but you run your money, there's a major difference in that. America would be wise to learn that difference. And so you would be wise, I would be wise to learn that. And one thing that we're gonna, uh, we haven't done it in a couple of years, but coming back in January, we're gonna do a nine-week course on Financial Peace University. It's a great tool to help you begin to get your financial house in order. If you've never done it, uh, especially if you're a dating couple, thinking about marriage type thing, this would be an awesome opportunity. Right here, Wednesday night, starting in January, there's information at the Next Steps table. You can sign up, you buy the kit, we go through it together, um, and I would love to have you join me and kind of working your way through that. If you've never done it, that's your invitation because that can really help with that elementary kind of style of giving. What does it mean to progress to maybe that kind of college level? What does it mean to do that? Well, I think that gets to the place where you're saying, hey, I'm gonna honor God with a tithe. I'm gonna honor God with 10% of what the scriptures talk about it, that I'm the manager of the resources God's given me and I'm just gonna give that back and invest that in eternal things. I'm gonna reallocate maybe some other support where other things that come across my plate or come across my path, I can actually invest in. This idea, I put this, that when you're impressed, you can invest, meaning when the Holy Spirit says impresses something on your heart, you've actually built enough margin in your life and in your living that you can respond to that. You don't have to do, for, we have that phrase, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can't fix all the woes in our city, let alone your life, right? So, but what's one thing that you can do that God might impress upon you to say, hey, I want you to partner in this? That's kind of growing this idea of progressing in your giving. Maybe from a graduate level or a doctorate level, how do you get to that? Because for some of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And I wanna encourage you, if you're still giving at an elementary level, friends, you're missing out on the transformation God can do in your heart and how he can use you to change things systemically around you. And so what would it look like to progress in that? from a college level, from a, a doctoral level, just this idea that you're, hey, uh, if you're blessed with means, then that means something. 
If you've been blessed with means, if you've been blessed with resources beyond even just what you need, then friend, maybe there's something behind that. And maybe God's trying to leverage and give you an opportunity to partner with him. That not only are you tithing, and maybe you're giving above and beyond that. I know people who have written books and they're living off the royalties of their books and they do a reverse tithe. They got 100% coming in, they're giving 90% out and they've learned to live on 10%. Because they, they just come to this place where they realize the investment is about eternal things. This is about what Jesus cares about, not just what I care about. And it's not that I can't have flashy things or fun things, I can. But it's not the only thing I'm investing in. And I'm not putting all of my resources just to living, but creating a legacy and being a part of what Jesus is up to. That maybe if you ever get to a place, maybe God's gonna call you that, I wrote this down. God may be blessing you to raise your standard of giving, not necessarily your standard of living. God may be blessing you to raise your standard of giving, not just your standard of living. And we live in a culture that says when anything you get increased, well, it just goes to living. Because that's the way it is. But see, when you're a disciple, not a donor, then what you're saying is, God, I want to have your mindset. I want to have your heart toward things. And it doesn't mean I can't have things. It doesn't mean I can't invest in some earthly things here. It just means I'm reallocating that I'm not only investing in the earthly things here. I want to encourage you, if you have any thoughts about this, if, if God's kind of stirring your heart, uh, The Treasure Principle by Randy a- uh, Alcorn is a great little book. Here's the beauty of it. It's small. It's awesome. Um, it's where a lot of these principles kind of came from, and it's a great read. So if, if God's stirring your heart in this, this would be a great next step for you, just to, to kind of read through it. You know, as we uh, approach year-end giving, um, I, I just want to give you an update as a church that as Brian and I and the team were kind of all looking at stuff, we realized, hey, you know, we try to budget here. Uh, sure, like you have a budget at your house. We're trying to do things to say, hey, here's how we be good stewards. Uh, one thing we looked at, the app, we're going to move, move into that platform because it saves us a full percent on giving and it takes off some of the extra fees. I'll explain that more as we get closer to that. But it's this idea of how do we give. As a church, we budget about 270000 just being real, uh, for a yearly budget. We're halfway through our fiscal year at the end of December, and we're a little behind where we're at. And so I'm just telling you that, being honest and open and transparent and saying, hey, if, if God blesses you and you want to be part of the year-end giving part here, then join us in that. It takes resources to do everything. We always say it takes real money to do real ministry. That's the reality of it. And so to do everything we're doing, to continue to, to put forth the goals of things we want to do now that we're here, we're not renting from Pantano anymore, we're not renting from the school. Remember we said we went from mom and dad's basement to an apartment, now we're in a duplex here, and there's some things, there's a little more ownership that comes with that when you get to that place. You know that progression in your life. And so there's great things. We have an awesome playground for kids. We've never had a playground, ever. Isn't that crazy? Well, we can invest in that. We want to reach young families. And you know what? That playground equipment's been there just a few years. Um, And so what would it look like to invest and put some other things out there, to to make some changes there? What would it be to, to continue to expand the reach of the food distributions and everything that we're able to do in the city? Well, that takes resources to do that.
So I just want to encourage you as you're praying about and thinking about your end giving uh, to maybe look at this whole concept and say, how do we partner together as a church to continue to move forward? And so uh, last week we said, okay, if we're going to practice and get better, well, that means we've got to do something. And so we said we want to do what's called the Hope Mob. So if you have your phone, uh, you can take it out, open up the app, and uh, at the bottom left corner of the app is the Give button. And we said every so often... As a church, we want to go above and beyond our tithe, above and beyond what our normal giving is here, and just invite people to be a hope mob, a mob of people who are bringing hope to people. We got to do that a few weeks ago as we took 15 uh, teens from a couple group homes here. As we left Catalina, we said, hey, we want to bless kids there, and we took them shopping. And we said, hey, we're going to buy jackets for everybody, we're buying new clothes for everyone, things they got to go shopping for the stuff that they wanted to, because you all gave resources to that. And that's awesome. And we're grateful for the way that you partner with us. And we said from time to time, we want to be a, a mob of hope for people. And so right now we've got two single moms and one young family that we want to bless this Christmas. And so above and beyond your giving here to Elements, we're just inviting you to be part of the hope mob with us. And you can open up the app, you can go to the give side, and you can just give one to five dollars. You can do certainly more than that if you want, and if you're able to, you're welcome to, but we're just inviting everybody. If we all do it, that makes an investment in people. So sometime tonight, or in the next 24 hours, we're inviting you just to say, hey, I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give a five bucks, I'm gonna give a 10 bucks, whatever it may be, to the Hope Mob, and you'll see two different categories. One's general, that's your tithe, and one says Hope Mob, and you can give right to that. And we'll tally all that up, and we'll let you know about that next week, and we're gonna be able to help these two single moms and their kids and this young family who's going through some hardship, and we get to partner together to do that. The giving platform, like I said, on the app is actually the one we're moving to on the website uh, here next January, and we'll let you know more about that. One, uh, close with this. My, one of my favorite things to do is uh, I write notes to first-time guests or emails to them, and I love to write notes to first-time givers, people who say, hey, I believe in the mission of this church, and I want to see it move forward. And uh, this is the verse I always write in there, the reference, and this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give to pressure. You give out of your own heart. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need and that you always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I love praying over every one of those cards for the people who are investing in eternal things and eternal investments in and through Element City Church. Say, may you sense God providing for you and may you have enough left over to share and begin to move this kingdom movement forward. Jesus invites us and he says, make eternal investments. Have the right mindset as you approach that. That's the invitation we have. So as we move to a time of communion, remembering uh, the greatest gift ever given in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection, I invite you, however this two weeks may have hit you, maybe it ruffled your feathers, maybe you don't like me, that's okay. This is the truth of what the scriptures call us to. This is the reality of what we're all invited into. We all make investments and we get to choose where they go. Earthly things, or eternal things. And the invitation for each of us is to figure out where we are 
and to make progress in that and to join Jesus in the mission he has to move his church forward and to move his hope and mission forward in the city and beyond. And so that's my prayer for you the last couple weeks. It's just been that God will show you what your next step is in that and that you would take a step in that. And next week, I just invite you back as we kind of journey toward Christmas together. We're excited to celebrate that. We'll be in a series called Merry and Bright, and we invite you to that, and we'd love to have you. And we're going to worship uh, the rest of the evening here, a couple songs, and we'll be going on. Um, if you're here for the Ecuador meeting, just remember we'll have that afterwards. I'll meet you in the courtyard. But uh, let me pray for us as we move toward uh, a time of communion. Father, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that you are a an incredibly generous God who is overly generous for us and with us in the giving and the provision of your son that through faith in him we could have life with you. Father, you call us to be great stewards of all the resources you've given us. We pray that we would be a church that does that well. We pray that we'd be individuals and people and families that do that well. God, we want to be people who give out of a generous heart to not just impact this church, but to impact your community and your city, to bless people and surprise people with your hope and with your grace and with your love. And so as we take this communion, we remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we sing these songs, would you draw our heart and help us figure out in the next 10 minutes here, God, what's our next step in response to the teaching, Jesus, that you give us in about eternal investments? What are you calling us to do? We ask that you'd show us that in Jesus' name.